Well, as you know, we have two daughters, a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old. And one of the things we did uh, up in the western suburban area there was Indian princesses. Have you ever heard of this? Total blank stares. Okay, a couple nods. Good. All right. So Indian princesses. The YMCA has this thing for dads and daughters to get together once a month. They called it Indian princesses. It's the secular version of small groups. Okay. So we would get together, all the dads and the daughters, and based on your geographic area, you would huddle up, and we were called a tribe. So we were the Powhatan tribe, which we found out isn't pronounced Powhatan. It took us three years to figure out we were pronouncing our own tribe name wrong. Okay. So we're the Powhatan tribe, and we have these girls, and we get together, and we're supposed to do crafts and games and food once a month, and then come home and not tell the moms how much sugar the kids just had, you know, one of those kind of deals. And then in the fall and the spring, you would go on a camp out. And that was the highlight of the girls' time in in Indian princesses. We had to do the fall and spring camp out, no matter what else we did, okay? So there was this fall camp out that I took Alyssa on. Megan had already graduated out. And it was just Alyssa and I. We had the van and we're going up. And I said, Hunt, just so you know, I have a business call I have to make. It's going to be about a half hour. That's it while you're playing with your friends. So let's get the tent set up. I'll make the call, and then the rest of the weekend is yours. I'm shutting the phone off, okay? So we got up there, and we're setting the tent up, and we've done this a couple years together now, and so, you know, it's a little bit difficult when you got the seven-year-old, six-year-old kind of helping you with the tent, but we got it mastered, you know, in the eight-foot middle, and she's like, can't touch that at all, can't help you. So you're trying to get the, the straps together and the, the poles together, and, you're, and we got it all up, you know, and it's kind of, it's like 48, 50-ish, and the breeze is starting to blow, and so I tacked the tent down just, to, just enough, and I said, let's leave it. We'll get it set square. i got to go make the call. Have fun with your friends. So I climb in the van, close the door, set the rearview mirror so I can see her playing with her friends, and I get on this conference call. And uh, so I'm, I'm talking with them, and we're chatting and uh, getting through the business issues, and I keep checking up, and I'm seeing that they're playing, and they're having fun, and she's laughing, and everything's good, right? And then I notice the car starts rocking. The wind is starting to pick up, okay? And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. I hope we did that thing with the tent okay. And as the car is moving, you're thinking, it's moving a couple thousand pounds. This isn't a good sign, right? So I look in the back, and I see the tent, and it's starting to, like, move in many directions. You know what I mean? Where it starts wobbling and toppling. And all of a sudden, this giant tumbleweed effect occurs as our green and white tent starts rolling end over end through this open field. And I jump out of the car. I'm like, hang on, I got to get my tent. Okay, put the phone down, go running over and grab it. And my daughter grabs it. And we now have created man's largest kite as we're holding on to this thing and it's catching wind. And we're trying to bring it back. And we must have looked like fools. So guys come from all over the place and they're grabbing on. They drag it over and we set it down on top of the tarp. And I start nailing those spikes down in. I mean, hard and deep now, right? Like I'm not messing around. Every single spike goes in. All the ropes get pulled back. Everything's tightened down. That We have battened the hatches, right? But I step back and I'm like, got the tent up. And my daughter looks at me and goes, I'm not sleeping in that. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? Come on, we just got it up. And she goes, that's scary, dad. And the whole tent's still going on top, you know? I'm like, come on, let's go inside. It won't be that big a deal. I'm thinking, let's show her the inside. Then it won't be, so we unzip it. We get in there and we zip it down. Like, it was scary in there, you know? And she's like, Dad, I'm not sleeping in here. And I said, you know what? We'll sleep in the van if we need to. Let's just see if the wind calms down throughout the rest of the day. So we got out. I get back on the conference call. 
and I'm watching the tent in the background everywhere, right? But those spikes are in deep. What's the point? You know what? We can go through some tough things in life. And if we don't have our foundation set, if we're not stable, we're going to be like tumbleweed. We're just getting blown. That's what's happening. Our question today is, how do I face the adversities of life? How do I face these troubles that we're going through? Whatever it may be, personal, corporate, whatever it is, how do I face those and have a solid foundation? Stable. Stable. That's the word we're going after. How do I get that? We're going to be looking today at Exodus chapter 17. So open your Bibles. Exodus 17, verses 8 through 16. The ushers are going to be coming forward. They've got some Bibles for you. If you do not have a Bible, just raise your hand. They'd love to get one in your hands, okay? We're going to be walking through this passage. Exodus 17, verses 8 through 16. Okay? Just raise your hand. The ushers will get one to you. Let me read here. Exodus 17, verses 8 through 16. The Israelites have just barely now gotten out into the desert areas, all right? They're trying to figure out what this means to be away from Egypt. And this happens. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, on the, one on the one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. The Lord is my banner. Encountering, I am as my banner. How in the world do we have a stable foundation in the midst? Our first point, very clearly, step up to the challenge. Step up to the challenge. Let's just walk through these first two verses, verses 8 and 9 here, and see what we have, all right? Then Amalek came and fought with Israel. Simple little phrase. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel. Move on. Who's Amalek? Is this a big deal that they're fighting? Okay. So let's get this straight, okay? We have Jacob and Esau. Remember that story? And Jacob ends up getting Esau's birthright, right? Esau comes home. He's hungry. He's kind of lazy about getting stuff. He wants some food. He ends up basically selling his birthright effectively. He kind of gives up that privilege. And later on, we have Jacob stealing Esau's full birthright. Totally, totally changing the direction of time. God's plan, but nonetheless an offense between Jacob and Esau. Esau's grandson, Amalek. We're hearing it now? So now we have the Israelites, which is Jacob's clan, and we have the Amalekites, Esau's clan. 
they're coming together to clash, okay? Now, we also have right after it, came and fought with Israel. Okay, if we've read through Exodus, what we'd find is this is actually the first fight. They've never had to fight. I mean, even the Egyptians, God just said, walk through the water. I got this one, right? Everything coming down was God managing it. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, God actually said, you know why I didn't walk them that way? Because they'd have had to fight and they couldn't handle it. If I'd have had to walk them through those people and they had to battle, they would have wanted to turn back to Egypt. So I took care of them. I took them a long way around, but I took care of them. I fought the battles for them by where I directed them. But now, now, now it's time to be stretched. Amalek's coming to fight. Another little tidbit from Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 to 19. We actually learn a little bit about this battle. The Amalekites, they came in from behind. And they took out the weak people. <laughs> That's what they were doing. Hey, let's get them by killing the slaggards, the ones that are way behind. They're not trying to catch the ones out in front leading the charge. They went behind. And we're not talking about they attacked Israel's army. There was no army. They just attacked Israel. You catching it? So the Amalekites, Esau's clan, came from behind and stormed in and started killing the weaklings out of Israel. It was a horrifying moment. And so Moses has a plan. Moses walks up to Joshua and he says, choose for us men. Notice he doesn't say, rally the troops. Get our army together. Oh yeah, we don't have one. Get an army. That's the plan. Go choose some men. Get an army together. We're going to have to do something about this. So first he says, choose for us some men. Build an army. And then go out and fight. That's a pretty intense plan, huh? Get an army. Fight with the army. That's my plan. That's what I got. That's what I'm giving you. Build the army. Go fight it. Well, don't you think somebody would have thought at some point, hey, God's fought a lot for us. Maybe, maybe he should do this one too. It doesn't say. All it says right after it, in verse 10, so Joshua did as Moses told him. That's all we know. Pretty direct obedience to Moses' plan. Moses says then, next sentence in verse 9, Tomorrow I will stand up on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So here's the plan. You have less than 24 hours. Go get some guys. You're going out to the field of battle. I, I'm going up there. I'm going up with this staff. You see this stick? Remember this thing? The one where I threw it on the ground and it turned into a snake? The one where I touched the Nile and it turned to blood? The one where I ended up raising it up? And we ended up seeing the hand of God at work when the Red Sea parted? Remember that? That's the staff I'm taking with me. Our connection to God Almighty. And I'm going up on top of the hill. I'll be up there. I'm the 80-year-old. You're going to be down there in the field of battle. Go after it. Step up to the challenge. Moses' call was this. There are prayers and there are doers. And they're both needed in the kingdom. Well, great, I'll be a doer. I don't want to be a prayer. No, that's not the point. Okay? If we look at this, 
we are seeing Moses say very clearly, we need to be about asking God to be all over this as we go through it. This is a scary moment. Let's make sure that as we step up to the challenge, we don't just try to be doers, but we're also being prayers. We're going to the hilltop to meet God Almighty as we try to meet out this plan. You know, the simple plan was pray and fight. That's Moses' deal. That's how he's going to handle it. Pray and fight. Watch God work. That's what we're going to do here. All too often, we are asked to get involved in things that are complex. They're difficult. Maybe even scary. But we need to dive in. Step up to the challenge. There's things we have to do. There's things we need to be praying for. And we need to be about both of them to watch God work. I was working up at Harvest Naperville. I was the, uh, uh, at that time, uh, my title was community pastor. I was watching over the South community, uh, the South half, doing uh, small group management and counseling, that kind of thing. And a letter came in. And I received the letter, opened it up. It was written to pastors at Harvest Bible, and I was the one who got it. So I opened it up. And it was one of those letters that wasn't the encouraging kind. It said, there's someone in your body who's having an affair with my husband. I live in Texas. And my husband goes up there for business. Can you please stop it? And it gave the name of the person. So I ended up taking the letter, folding it up, putting it in the envelope, and setting it aside. <laughs> and saying, wow, I need to deal with that. So I prayed a little bit about it, and then let Monday go by. And then I prayed more on Tuesday and let Tuesday go by. And Wednesday I was doing some phone calling and I finally said, this is it. I've got to add this into the list. So I picked up the letter and reread it. And then I called this person in the body and I talked with her. And I asked her what was going on. And she said, you know, you're right. I found out last week that he was married. Didn't know that. Uh, when I found out, I needed to break it off. There were some things that were going on there that shouldn't have been anyway. But then I found out that. And I've stepped away. That was last Thursday. I said, okay, no more contact. She said, no more contact. I said, none. I mean, if he calls, you don't answer. If he writes a letter, you don't send one back. Nothing. She said, right. I'm separated away from that. I'm like, okay, good. I'm calling and telling the woman that. So I called down to Texas, Katy, Texas. Consuelo was her name. And I said, Consuelo, I just want to chat with you a little bit about what's going on. You need to know, I have talked to the person up here. We have asked her to stop. She will not be contacting this, your husband anymore, and she will not receive any contact. It's done. Okay? You need to know that. And she said, forget it. Just let them be together. I'm done with the marriage. They can be married. And I said, Consuelo, I need to let you know. I work at Harvest Bible Chapel. <laughs> so what we do quite often is we use the Bible to direct what God wants us to do. And let me tell you something. He wants us to honor your marriage your marriage. We're going to help lift you up and protect you. I want to do that with you, Consuela. Do you understand? And she started crying. And as we talked it through, I could just tell she didn't get it. She was coming from uh, a very conservative, legalistic type background uh, from the Catholic faith, but she didn't understand what she was going through. 
And as we talked it out, I just asked her very clearly, do you know what it means when I say you can have a relationship with God? And she said, no, that makes no sense to me. (laughs) What are you talking about? And so I walked through the gospel plan with her, and she accepted Christ on the phone. A letter that was a nightmare on Monday was actually a privilege on Wednesday to watch God work. But it doesn't stop there. Here's the cool part of the story. Not that that wasn't cool. It gets more cool. As I'm talking to her and I said, okay, we need to get you into a church. She said, yes, that'd be great. I don't know where to go. I'm like, neither do I. I don't know Katy, Texas. I don't even know where it is on the map. And so I said, let me look up some things. So I look up Katy, Texas, and I look up churches. And you know what? There's a lot of churches that sound great. I don't know. I'm just reading something on the website, you know? I said, I don't want to just give her a name. I'm hanging on. Something's coming. I don't know where from. I don't get this. So I waited. I looked. I hunted. I asked people. Nobody knew anything. I get to Sunday night, and I'm feeling like a loser. Like, it was Sunday morning. I missed it. I didn't get her to church. What was I doing? Sunday night comes, and I'm watching over small groups, so we went to a small group party that night. It was near Christmas time. And uh, I was chatting with one of the guys who was now moving, and I said, hey, where are you moving to? And he said, Texas. And I said, you're going to Houston, right? He said, yeah. And I said, where's Katie? And he goes, what, are you pulling my leg? I go, no, what are you talking about? And he goes, we're moving to Katie. We just say Houston because it's next to, next to Houston. Katie's where we're going. I'm like, fine. Give me the name of a good church there. And he goes, easy. Second Baptist. Okay, great. Thank you. Why? That's where we used to go when we were there before. We love it. We know a lot of people. Okay, that's great. Give me somebody I can contact who can get a female into a small group. Can you do that? Absolutely. And he gives me a name. And I'm like, okay, I just want to be clear, though. This is a Hispanic woman, and her husband is Hispanic, not a believer, okay? So we need to get a new believing Hispanic woman into... And he goes, you're pulling my leg. I go, what are you talking about? He goes... This name I just gave you, my wife's best friend, she leads a small group on Monday nights for Hispanic women of unbelieving husbands. Okay, step up to the challenge. God's at work. I'm telling you, we just laughed. I'm like, I'm not pulling your leg. It's a real story, man. She's been going there for a year and a half now. It's unbelievable what God has planned. Are you telling me that I seriously had a thought of a plan of putting her into... I had no clue of that. I'm just doing what God's asked me to do. And he just happens to set it up. Praise him. When we do it right, people go, wow, God is good. Wow. When we do it right, God's shown off. And people are amazed. It it was awesome to see that life transformed and to hear the stories coming from down there of how everything had been tied together. Question for you. What's God calling you to step up to? What's God asking you to be a part of? He's going to wow you with it because he wants to get some work done. What is it? Is there someone you need to be talking with? Maybe it's yourself that needs to be making some changes. What is it that God's asking you to step up to the challenge with in the field of battle and start doing? And second, are you praying about it? How are you laying it before him to make clear that this is the direction he is leading you? Step up to the challenge. It's the only way to be stable in the midst of the storms. First step, okay? Second step. 
Endure together as a team. Endure together as a team. As we look at verses 10 through 13 here, let's just walk it through. Verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses told him. We already covered that, right? Hey, Moses, or hey Joshua, go do this. Cool, got it. That's what we have recorded. That's all we know, okay? So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Three guys hand-selected to go up to the top of the hill. So we have two visions of team going on here. We've got our field work, Joshua and the fighting men, We've got our hilltop work. Moses, Aaron, and her. Two different teams going on to make sure that this thing accomplishes what it needs to accomplish, right? So that's teamwork. But then within, in the midst of it, we have Moses, Aaron, and her working together. Let's look closely at how they work together here. Verse 11. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Okay, you got to picture this. So Moses is raising his hand. First of all, it's used in the singular in this verse, and in the next verse, it's used in the, in the plural, hand and then hands. So we know at some point, you know, it, maybe it looked like this. He probably had the staff in his hand at some point, and he's doing this. Okay, try this with me. Raise your hands in the air like this, all right? Now stay this way for 12 hours. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I mean, this is a challenge piece, right? So Moses starts out and he's like this and he's watching it all come down. And he's like, this is awesome. And Israel is dominating and he's watching God work and it's unbelievable. And then he does one of these, you know, whoo, man. And all of a sudden you see this whole tide turn. Whoa, pick that back up. <laughs> right? Can you imagine? I mean, that's what he's watching. He saw the ebb and the flow. I thought about subtitling this, not a time for the wave right? Can you imagine? Woo! Right? We're doing good. Okay. Oh, oh, whoa, wait. I mean, think about it. Every time he's imploring to God, Israel is dominating. Is it that when he puts his hands down, Israel forgot how to fight? Is it that when he puts his hands down, the swords become shorter? Why all of a sudden? Because God is a part of that battle too. Because God is a part of the motion and the motives. God is a part of the energies and the strengths. God is a part of the thinking and the countering. God is a part of the protecting and the doing. And when we implore to him, he's at work. How often do we just send men to the field? How often do we make it all about what we do? And then when we get done doing, we say, Lord, please bless the work we've just done. That's the shame of it. We need to be imploring of our Lord before it, in it, and thanking him after. That's how we need to be approaching this thing. And what teamwork do we see as Moses starts realizing, man, this gets difficult. And he starts putting his arms down. Watch what happens, right? We end up saying, verse 12, Moses' hands grew weary. No kidding. <laughs> Understatement. So they took a stone and they put it under him. It's really a bummer. I mean, at least today you had one of those soccer mom chairs, you know, like a stone. That doesn't sound much better. I mean, I love deer hunting, 
the last thing I do is sit on a rock when I'm going to sit on stand. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, that was a long day, even still, sitting on the stone. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him. Thank you kindly. And he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands. Teamwork. So Moses does this, and they stand next to him. And they're holding on tight. And between the three of them, they have created a stable foundation on the hilltop. They are praying together. They are imploring of God together. And the three of them, representing Israel, saying, God Almighty, may this be about what you want done. Protect Israel. Lead your people. It says, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on the one side and the other on the other, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. That's our goal. Steady. Stable. Teamwork. Side by side. All too often, we do Satan's job for him. Anytime you want to win, what's the number one rule? Divide and divide and conquer. Conquer follows divide. <laughs> so the first thing we do is we say, go in, a, go in a prayer closet by yourself and pray. And it's not wrong to have private prayer time with the Lord. Don't get me wrong. But when we're in the midst of tough times, there's also a time for rallying the people together and be praying together over it. That's why we have prayer teams. That's why we have the things that we have going on around here. I'm going to touch on that in just a second. It says right here in the end, so his hands were steady. That's what we're looking for, steady, until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Joshua and Israel overwhelmed and won. Overwhelmed. doesn't say obliterated, but overwhelmed. And we'll get to that in the next couple of points. In, in the third point, we're going to talk about that. But overwhelmed. Victory was theirs for the day. The battle was won. Okay? Did you know that we have prayer teams here? Did you know that we have people that pray before the service every morning? Start at or before 8.30 and pray up until 9-ish? That the worship team meets back here and prays? right before we come on, before both services, just to be able to make sure that we're saying, Lord, this is yours. We want to hand it to you. Did you know that we have a prayer team that meets on Wednesdays? And they pray over the needs of this body, including those that are in the registers. And encouragement notes are written. This body is already passionate about prayer, which is a cool thing. And what we'd like to do, what I'd like to see us do, is step it up one more notch. Here's the deal. We have a lot of hearts and a lot of lives that come into this church right here on Sunday mornings. And the battlefield is in the heart of you and me each Sunday morning as we stand in here or sit in here, as we worship and listen and contemplate, what am I going to do differently? Or did I remember the grocery list and put it in my purse? Or right? How often do we let our minds just drift away? And our thought is, Let's stay focused. What we're going to start rolling out as of this week is a hilltop team. A team of people that are dedicated to prayer. And we've already had little teams. We're pulling them all together. Ross Wuthrich, one of our uh, elders. Ross, you want to just stand up real quickly? I know Ross is a humble guy. This isn't necessarily what he wanted to do, but nonetheless. <laughs> Ross is going to be helping lead that team. 
We've talked a bit this week about what we're talking about, and Ross is going to be going after one thing right now, very specifically. That is, we're trying to get people to be praying during the services. We would love to have three people at each service minimum, and preferably dozens, praying for the hearts and souls of what's going on in here. While we're, while we're worshiping in here and leading and guiding and challenging the hearts, prayer is going on from the hilltop, okay? If that's something you're interested in, contact the church office this week, and we're going to get you in touch with Ross, okay? He's going to be putting together a structure to try to help us provide that look of field work and hilltop team. Does that make sense? Are you understanding what we're talking about? There's a, there is an opportunity for you to be praying for this body. Come to the nine and pray during the nine and then attend the 11 or vice versa, whatever works for you. I would love to see us. I want to challenge us to be about the hilltop team as much as we're about the field work. If we don't get that, we've made this a man-centered effort and that is going nowhere. We are looking to see God's work we are looking to have people unbelievably, staggeringly excited about what God is doing. That's a corporate challenge. There's a personal challenge. Let me just ask you this. Did any of you watch the Olympics this summer? That was a really weak yes. Did any of you watch the Olympics? All right. Did anybody watch anything other than Michael Phelps? Okay. A lot of people like to watch the gymnastics. Yes? All right. This year, Michael Phelps was the showcase. Why? Because history had a chance of being made. Unfortunately, they put Michael Phelps on at 10 o'clock every night. Did you notice that? So, like, I'm sitting here trying to talk to my kids about the awesomeness of being able to see eight gold medals won, and then it's at 10 p.m. every night. Oh, my word. So the kids go upstairs and they go to bed. And at 5 to 10, I'm running upstairs going, you got to come downstairs. Michael Phelps is going to swim. Come see it. And so Michael Phelps comes running or comes on and they come running down and they're watching him and they watch the, you know, anywhere from the 30 second to two minute, three minute race. And then they go back upstairs and they're all pumped up and they can't sleep for an hour. And so my wife's like, thanks a lot, Tim. Good plan. You know, (laughs) but we got to see Michael Phelps win eight gold medals. He would not have won that eighth gold medal without teamwork. A lot of it was individual stuff, but there was a relay that he raced where they really didn't think they were going to get it. Do you remember watching that? And I'm still amazed they got it. When you watch how the guy finished the race, it's unbelievable how he came from looking like a foot back to touching the wall first. And as a team, they won. And Michael Phelps got another gold medal. And I remember watching him celebrate And I swear to you, he celebrated more in that victory than any of the others. Did you see that? He was like passionately, you know, it was totally ripped. He didn't look anything like me. I wish he did. You know, (laughs) oh, you know, and just a ripped, unbelievable passion as he was like, teamwork. Endure as a team. That's what it's about. That was swimming. How much more should that be true in our spiritual walk with him? How much more should that be true as we try to go through our daily life staying pure for our Lord, giving him our lives and our passion? Teamwork. Question, 
How are you with your teamwork? Are you in a small group? Do you have some people you're leaning on and being honest with? Are you praying for others and helping lift them up on the hilltop? Are you raising up your arms for others and saying, I'm there for you. I'm praying. I'm hurting for you and with you. Do you have somebody doing that for you? Hilltop team. Privately and corporately. We need to be going after it. Make sure prayer is a primary piece of your walk with the Lord. All too often we become about the doing, not about the raising up before him. Not about the raising up. So first, step up to the challenge. Second, endure as a team. And third, celebrate God's guaranteed victory. Celebrate God's guaranteed victory. It took a while for me to actually come up with verbiage for this third one because, well, you'll see in just a second. Let's start with verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, the Lord said, remember that commercial when E.F. Hutton talks? Yeah, and for all of you just nodded, unfortunately you're in your 40s or older. (laughs) Right? But when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. That was the commercial, right? How much more so when the Lord speaks? Then the Lord said to Moses, write this. This is in the imperative form, command form. Do it. Not a question. Hey, what do you think about writing this down, Moses? Do it. Write it. Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. You know, this is actually the first time that there's any indication that they were recording things. Just a little tidbit. I don't know what you do with that, but just so you know. Okay? They're actually recording what's going on. A memorial. Recited in the ears of Joshua. Here's what he recites. That I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Victory guaranteed. Now remember, I said, Joshua experienced, he overwhelmed them. He won the battle. God says, oh, destruction. Don't you worry. Blot it out. I've got that covered. Their relationship with me, not in a good spot. That bodes very poorly for them. Amalek will be blotted out. Count on it. Trust in it. Now, can you imagine? One day you find out the nation you're leading is being killed. All the weak people from behind. And so you go to one of your guys who's younger and more energetic and athletic, and you're like, dude, Get some people and go do something. I'll be up there praying. Go. Joshua goes down. One day, overwhelms. Done. Problem solved. At the end of the day, the Lord says, record this. They will be blotted out. No problems there. Can you imagine the celebratory feeling he must have had? Whoo, man, that problem's done. Unbelievable. Our God. And then you turn to the person next to you and you're like, I'm telling you, it wasn't you guys down on the field. Every time I went like this, you guys were winning. I'm not joking. It was like this. This is what was winning it. God, through us, as we raised our hands to him, God was at work. So what do I have to say about that? Moses says right here, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. What? 
What does that mean? He's basically saying this. There is power in God Almighty. And as He has promised us, that's what makes Him. I am is my banner. What He said right before it. What's a banner? You know, we think of the banners that are like, you know, a foot wide and five feet long and we stick them up on a little banner holder and it couldn't stand up to a little wind, you know? It's, a, it's like a flag of victory that's saying, we have taken this spot. It's an indication of victory, a guarantee of battle won. That is what we have in our God. Now, the promise here was with Amalek, but we have a promise of victory. What's our promise of victory? Well, we have eternal life to start with. A guarantee that the sin of this world will be washed away, not taking effect after heaven ever again. A guarantee of peace and joy. A guarantee that the battles of this world are waged and fought by him, through him, and for him, with him to be honored. And like we were talking about last week, as he returns as King Almighty to reign forever, we have a guarantee that that kingdom will be established. We have a victory that is coming. Notice what I just said? We have a victory that is coming. Moses was not guaranteed. By the way, by the end of tonight, Amalek is gone. Just so you know, what you did is destroy him. He's done. He said, I will, future tense. It's coming someday. As we read forward, Israel actually had a lot of more dealings with Amalek, with the Amalekites. But God had it under control. That's where we're at with him. You have a guarantee of victory with God. Guarantee. If you trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he guarantees you not only the eternal life, which when you're thinking about a billion years, a billion minus 80 is still a lot of years, right? That's a pretty hefty guarantee in itself. But we have a guarantee that he is with us here today as well, as provider, as healer, as the eternally trustworthy God. We have victory in our God. We have victory in our God. Do you notice that in the Bible there, Moses' statement has an exclamation point after it. He didn't say this. That's pretty nice. He said, unbelievable. Unbelievable. We need to be pumped up that God is with us, that he wants to change us, that he wants to be with us each day and provide victory. Unbelievable. Celebrate it. Praise him. Amen? That is the God we serve. That's unbelievable. 1973, Uganda was going under horrific um, trials. In the midst of 1973, a bishop was called to come out and talk to three men who were going to be executed. They had uh, committed some pretty grave atrocities, including uh, killing some people. And uh, under government law, they were to be executed. The bishop is walking out to talk with them, and their backs are turned. And as he's coming up, he's recording this. He says, I truly have no clue who or what I'm going to meet. 
but I'm expecting complete anger as their life is about to end. And as I approached, the first man turns to me and says, Bishop, you wouldn't believe it. While I've made horrible decisions in my life, I found Jesus Christ. My life has changed. And while I know my life today is probably going to end, I know that eternally I have a Savior who loves me and who is challenging me to be more like him. I have changed more in these last months than I have ever changed in my life. Praise be to God. Do me a favor. Tell my family that I was a dumb person and now I've got it together. Tell them, please. And as he looked at the second person, he expected the anger. And the second person turned and goes, that guy changed. And I couldn't believe it. And with his change, I said, I want what you got. And as he started sharing what he knew, I accepted Christ. Me too. And the third guy turns around and goes, me too. The three of us are celebrating God's change in our life. We have made some horrible decisions and we are willing to stand before the justice of this earth for it. But we know this. He has wiped my sin away with his shed blood on the cross. And I will forever raise his name and praise him for who he is. Thank you, Jesus. Just tell the people that when you go back home. The next day, that bishop went back to the hometown of that man. And he began to explain to them what he heard from them. And when he got to the point where he was explaining to this community, they trusted Christ. And their one word is not this, help me. Their word is this, I am fine. I know where I'm heading. The victory is won. Jesus Christ has paid the price and I have eternal life in him. Relationship resolved. Just get the word out to everyone else. I'm not the one in need. Please share with them victory in Jesus Christ. The entire place erupted in praise, in cheer. Hundreds and hundreds of people came to know Christ because of the testimony of these men. Celebrate the victory in Jesus Christ. When God changes a heart, it's a miracle working moment. When God moves passionately in you or in me to become different, it's a miracle working moment. Celebrate God at work. Celebrate him at work. It is unbelievably stabilizing. You get a perspective you don't have if you walk around all about me. Once you figure out what God's doing, man, does it crank the tent stakes down. You know what I mean? Question. Are you celebrating God at work in your life? Are you celebrating God at work in the life of your friends? I know some of you are going through some tough, tough stuff. And I know that in the midst of that, God's at work. Look for him. Look for him. Celebrate his hand and praise him. I am is my banner. Victory in Jesus Christ. How? Nailing down the tent stakes. It's all about that hilltop approach to God Almighty. Can you lift your hands to him and say, I'm just giving it to you, God. I'm just giving it to you. I mean, just one little challenge. You know the, the raising of hands? 
Okay, I was raised in a very conservative church, all right? So you raised your hand when you had to be dismissed or go to the bathroom. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? A lot of you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, but here's the reality. When we can say, it isn't about me and I'm not trying to show off, it's about you. I'm just raising my hand before you. It's very biblical. The Psalms talk about raising your hands or your palms before the Lord to receive. If there's one thing we could do right now, it's make sure that we raise our hands before him to give him that honor and that glory and say, I'm coming to you with what I've got, Lord. Take me, take the problem, and work it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying if you don't raise your hands that God doesn't hear you or anything like that. Don't, don't get me wrong, okay? I don't need to hear emails about that. <laughs> Seriously, I understand there's a posture all the time, but there are times to just celebrate hands in the air. I mean, can you imagine? We watch the Bears actually win a Super Bowl and we go, woo, that was good. <laughs> Is that what we do? Come on, right? We don't put our hands in our pockets for the first time. We go, yes, unbelievable. Oh, yeah. That's what it's about. It's just about celebrating what he's doing in your life. Okay? As we go to this last song, just consider that. Raising your hands to him. Celebrating him. It's about what he's doing. Hilltop work is what guarantees the victory. As we work with him, raising our hands to him, God Almighty at work. That's how we get stable in this world. Okay? Let's go to prayer.